1: Hi, dear listeners, this is Kate Riga. I'm here to make a quick pitch that you consider becoming a TPM Prime member. TPM has used the member model for over a decade now, and our loyal members are the only reason we've been able to weather the turbulence of the media landscape and avoid the fate that has befallen so many other independent outlets. For $60 a year, you get no paywall, fewer ads, access to the Hive member forum, a members-only newsletter, and more. For $120 a year, you get all of that, plus no ads at all. Without our members, there is no podcast, not to mention that I'm out of a job. Thank you so much for listening and supporting us. We couldn't do it without you mm
0: Josh Marshall Podcast with Kate Riga. We've got one big story to talk about today. Uh, we're going to get to um, some other significant stories uh, kind of at the, at the end of the episode. But the big story is obviously uh, the fall of Kevin McCarthy, which uh, I guess it's sort of, it depends on where you want to start the tape running, how shocking a development it is. Uh, but let's go back. I mean, look, Let's go back a few weeks. A few weeks ago we're barreling towards the shutdown which everybody thought was basically a certainty. Certainly in the days in in the in the three or four days in what seemed to be leading up to it it was treated as just a dead certainty. It was even treated as a bit more of a dead certainty than kind of made sense to me. Um all the signs kind of did point that way, but these these crises do have a way of sometimes being kicked down the road a little, solved. Uh, we certainly had the the uh, the example of the uh, debt ceiling agreement from last May, which you know at the last moment got solved, and that and that turned out to be, in some ways, uh, in some ways a a a good analog or a foreshadowing, since it was it was solved the same way, and that was the end of Kevin McCarthy. So we're barreling towards the debt ceiling. I'm sorry, we're barreling towards the government shutdown. That doesn't happen uh in in what was in many in not entirely, but in pretty key ways, uh a replay of of the debt ceiling denouement. Uh McCarthy was just Placed in an impossible situation, and and we shouldn't look at this of like, oh, poor Kevin McCarthy. He was he was given no way out. He placed himself in that impossible situation back in January, right? And there is this line coming out of Kevin McCarthy's downfall that no one could trust him. He lied to everybody, uh, and at some level, that's what. That's what Democrats are saying, uh, and it's certainly the case that he he made that deal back in May over the debt ceiling, and then he pretty quickly turned around and broke the deal and breaking the deal is what set us up for this shutdown showdown and what we now know set us up for his fall from power. Um, you know, maybe he did lie to everybody, but I think by accepting the house hardliners theory about this their claims about this which is just he's unreliable he's a fake blah 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 that's why we want to get rid of him that's why you uh, republican centrists you should also want to get rid of him because he lies to everybody well maybe Uh, You know, I have no brief for Kevin McCarthy. He brought this all on himself. And in addition to bringing this all on himself, he's done just a series of terrible things to, to enable his rise to power. But the key thing here is that he came to power promising the House Republican ultras that he could get the entire House to agree to their wish list that he could make that happen, that he could get everybody to agree to their wish list, make that happen, and then somehow take their wish list and get it, get it made into law, right? That's the basic thing. Why couldn't McCarthy, I mean, l- let's go back to what that debt ceiling agreement was. They agreed to a, a broad series of spending caps that were pretty minimal, Relative to what a lot of people were expecting, that the Republicans would be able to uh, um, extort, and uh, within that, the they're going to go back to regular order, going to pass all the appropriations bills, and uh, if they don't, if they don't get them passed in time, you pass a continuing resolution. There's no more debt ceiling stuff till after the 2024 election. Blah 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 blah. Okay, so the Freedom Caucus people. And there's one issue that the Freedom Caucus is really no longer one group, but we'll come back to that. Freedom Caucus people get their regular order, right? They, they finally get what they've been demanding, but they're not able to pass their bills. They're not able to pass their bills, which is, which is why we've, for a generation, been sort of uh, funding the government through omnibus legislation. You know, some uh, last minute deal uh, negotiated between the heads of the Congress and the White House and everybody votes. Everybody gets 25 minutes to vote on it and then it's done, which is not great. But there's a reason we got there. Right. To, to doing that. So they couldn't get that. And look, the reason they couldn't get it isn't simply because the the people on, in that part of the Republican caucus are just no have no experience governing don't kind of know how to move these bills. It didn't happen because they, want, they wanted to pass bills that they couldn't even get through the Republican House. And they certainly weren't going to, they were going to be dead on arrival in the Democratic Senate with the White House, uh, et cetera. So really Kevin McCarthy is, got canned because he couldn't, Deliver the toy ponies to the to Matt Gates and Eli Crane and all these other dudes. And the reason you can't is because they don't have the votes for it. You know, could you? Would Nancy Pelosi have been able to um, deliver exactly the budget that uh, AOC and Ilhan Omar wanted? Of course not. There's a lot of people in the Democratic Caucus. They they don't all agree with 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 uh, the squad. That that's just obvious. But that is how the how the Republican Caucus has been running. So um, and look, I will I will put out there that this played out. This is this did not play out the way I thought it would play out. And there's a, a couple uh, a couple junctures where my analysis of this broke down, and I want to point out where those were. Didn't surprise me that Matt Gates was able to come up with five votes to oust McCarthy from the Speakership. What surprised me a lot was that, I mean, I guess it ended up being eight votes. I think uh, he, eight votes. Um, and then within less than two hours after that vote, he announced he's out. He's not running again. He's done. And just with how, you know, House politics runs, you're, you've, you've been speaker and, you're, and you, you stop being speaker, especially if your speakership ends in this humiliating a fashion, your career's over. A guy who's, who's in the House is not going to run for Senate. That doesn't happen. Uh, it's California, he's not going to run for governor of California right? So his political career is done. It's sort of an open question whether he's going to resign by the end of this Congress. And okay, so so that happens. I think that's still, um, in many ways, kind of an open question why he did that. We may never quite know the answer why he did that. Uh, you know, the answer could be as simple as that he... There was just no way he was ever going to get those five or six to ever vote for him. But still, there's a certain lack of political fight there, right? And and there's also a lack of political fight in the kind of so-called GOP moderates. I mean, if you, if we have to look, everybody is saying today, no one is more hated in the GOP caucus than Matt Gates. The guy is despised. And yet, and yet, he threw down the gauntlet. He went to war with kevin mccarthy and kevin mccarthy is gone so do not tell me that his power didn't just skyrocket of course it did right so now uh now i don't think i was the only one to see uh, mccarthy give in that quickly apparently everyone in the caucus meeting which took place around seven uh seven in the evening last night was totally shocked. Um, I don't think everybody thought he was going to be able to make a comeback, but at least that he was going to, you know, try. Uh, now we seem to have uh, uh, Steve Scalise in, but he hasn't officially. Scalise hasn't officially announced yet that he's in, although it's kind of a, a given. But Jim Jordan beat him to the punch, and Jim Jordan, strange as it may sound, is a McCarthy guy, not a Scalise guy. Um, You know, a lot of this Freedom Caucus mainstream, a lot of that stuff, uh, a lot of that stuff breaks down. It seems to me, although this is, you know, way out of my way out of my knowledge, if Steve Scalise would have said instantly yesterday, all right, I'm in. Let's let's bring this craziness to a conclusion. Everybody rally behind me. We're going to get this done. Not that it matters, but Matt uh, Gates said yesterday, Oh, I'd love Steve Scalise. That'd be awesome. Right. So he's on board. He waited. And now Jim Jordan's in. And, you know, last thing I'll say here, I remember very clearly, it's like 25 years ago, the day that Denny Hastert became speaker. Now, (laughs) obviously, we know now that uh, Denny Hastert was. A child molester right, um, and had this whole abuse thing and and we know that we did not know that at the time, right, and we'd had uh Newt Gingrich go down as speaker in part because of the total belly flop of the nineteen ninety eight midterms but also because he was having an affair with his now wife um that's how gingrich rolls each one each new wife starts as an affair with the previous one um and then you've got this guy livingston no one remembers he's the next guy but then he's having an affair and the whole house is in pandemonium and there is just a kind of a a a a, everybody rises to anoint denny hastard denny is too normal he will never be weird he's never going to have an affair he's the normalest dude there is Let's let's just kind of lay hands on Denny and bring this madness to an end. And it was just done. And, and I believe Hastert went on to be the longest serving Republican speaker in American history. Okay, so not bad Denny, even though it sort of fell apart later on. The reputation took a hit. Uh, maybe Scalise could have done that yesterday, but he waited. And now McCarthy's in. So now we've got a real fight on our hands, and look, there's no question, both because of who these two guys are, Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise, and also because of what happened to Kevin McCarthy, that the new speakership is going to be more feral, more confrontational uh, than McCarthy's, which is saying something. So that's the, that's the big thing we're going to talk about. We're also going to talk about um, Consumer Finance Protection Board. I always forget the exact. Bureau, is bureau, bureau, Board, Bureau. What, what, what do you have? Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about that. Towards the end, we got a little preview possibly of, of uh, what Supreme Court is thinking about that. We're going to, like I said, we're going to talk about that towards the end. But Kate, what is, what is the deal? What is the deal?
1: It's so funny because... The dynamics of the Kevin McCarthy situation were the same for the past like two weeks. And I think that's something that didn't seem to be the case if you kind of were following along, you know, via the the tip sheets or the outlets that kind of specialize in political horse racing. Everything was always the same. The only way to, you know, avert a shutdown or reopen was going to be brokering a deal on the backs of House Republicans or House Democrats. The same thing as the debt ceiling showdown. The other part of that dynamic that was always true was as soon as McCarthy did that, his gavel was going to be at risk. I was surprised that he decided to do this pre-shutdown. I did think it would take losing the shutdown pretty visibly to force him into that path because what we know of Kevin McCarthy is, I mean, he's just, he's pure ambition. He always has been. He's not a wonk. He's not ideological. He has just always sought power and been, you know, an affable enough guy to basically get it. Um, so the, bigger, the biggest question to me now that we like may never know is just kind of why did he choose to essentially throw in the towel now? I mean, not to say that he didn't whip people for his speakership vote, but you really got the sense that, you know, when he was trying to get the speakership in the first place, there were deals being made and concessions and promises. This time you would have expected kind of a steady stream of like Eli Crane and and Burchett and Biggs in and out of his office to kind of, what do you want? It really feels like he came to the conclusion that these people, which is what they are, are chaos agents, that they decided that he was the enemy and that The prophecy was kind of foretold ever since the 2022 elections when this was the majority. I mean, this and this has come up a lot from the kind of resistance lib side of Twitter that's um, doing a lot of Nancy Pelosi appreciation posts right now. It's just, you know, a five seat majority for House Democrats is a different beast than a five seat majority for House Republicans. This was never going to be a governable caucus. And the larger kind of zoomed out picture is House Republicans haven't been a governable caucus for a really long time. And that's why we keep seeing every speaker of them fall to the same element of the party. And it's the same one now. It's just in its post-Trump iteration. You know, it's the Tea Party. It's the new Gingrich. It's the the ungoverning caucus, the one that wants to break government and that is inherently suspicious of all leadership and who never really substantiates any actual policy demands or will sometimes couch this instinct to break things with a, well, I just want to cut spending or something like that, even though everyone kind of knows it's not real. And so, you know, it's like you said at the beginning, I don't think you have to feel bad for McCarthy to realize he was in a pretty impossible position. And if there was any way to keep the gavel, it was going to depend on Democrats. And that's a place where I think he probably could have saved himself and chose not to. Um, like, I really want us to get into the whole Democrats should have saved McCarthy thing. But his attitude in the last few days before the vote just curtailed any possibility that Democrats would help him and not for like an ideological rock solid opposition to him. Like a lot of House Democrats don't like him. A lot of them wouldn't have voted for him. A lot of them felt kind of bad for him and were feeling quite uncomfortable about kind of throwing in with Matt Gates. And then, he, you know, he went on Face the Nation over the weekend and basically like, you know, pooped all over them and was, you know, not only wouldn't really give them any concessions, but wouldn't even really ask politely. So at that point, it's like, what, you want House Democrats to kind of betray all their ideological convictions by getting behind a person who they don't support in any layer of the situation and bail him out from his own party whilst he's like spitting on them as it happens? Like, come on.
0: Yeah, I mean, you do, you know, you have this active impeachment inquiry um, that is, I guess you can say that any party in the opposition that has a president in the White House, if there's an impeachment inquiry, they're going to want to shut that down. You have the added reality that everybody knows this whole thing is bogus. It was just something he sort of gave to the hardliners in his caucus as one of the things he had to give them. Um, so no one, I think every Democrat can look at themselves in the mirror and say, I- I'm not... Asking for a favor here. This whole thing is illegitimate. So you just need to stop it. Um, he also broke the agreement that they made back in back in May. So you know, it's 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 funny that I I saw someone mention today, you know, that I just uh, was engaging with on Twitter and saying, you know, Democrats should have just they shouldn't have touched this. They should have stood aside, but they did stand aside. That's what they did. And, and, and it's it's important to, I think it's important to realize the definition of the opposition party is the one that does not win the leadership vote. Literally, that's what it is. You have a leadership vote to run the parliamentary body. You lose that leadership vote, you're in the opposition. You're the minority party. That's what it is. And I'm I'm kind of Flogging a dead horse here, but the idea that they would come in and and prop him up—that's literally not how anything works. That's never happened. Um, And you'd need something extraordinary to uh, uh, merit that. I mean, let me let me ask you this though, because this is something that I'm still kind of having a hard time getting my head around. And I alluded to it in a post this morning that Monday night. McCarthy seemed ready to rumble and cocky and sort of taunting Matt Gates. He said on Twitter, you know, bring it on, bring it on. And Monday, after sort of saying he was going to do this over the weekend, Gates seemed to kind of equivocate a bit, like wobble a bit. What is, you know, said some things that could be construed as, well, we have to, you know... Maybe he's not going to be removed, but we at least have to go through this motion. That's the accountability to at least he at least has to face the vote. And then by mid-morning yesterday, it was totally different. And I noticed that uh, I think in one of these impromptu interviews, maybe walking through the Capitol or something like that, someone asked, a reporter asked McCarthy, like, you know, do you think you're going to win the, you know, do you think who's going to win the vote? Do you think they're going to win the vote? And he said, like, you know, probably the win i mean dude (laughs) that's pretty low energy right i mean that's like that's like that that's just that's just saying you know you're gonna lose and maybe he did know he was gonna lose but it's 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 like all the life went out of him and and so why and i'm what do you think
1: with most politicians i would think that they had come to grips with the fact that this is going to be their reality from now on. That if they survive this motion to vacate, there will be another come November 17th when that CR runs out and another one after that. And any additional lack of kowtowing that they do to this faction will produce the same result. And that sooner or later, you'll accumulate five votes. But that is just not how McCarthy has ever operated. Like if, if that was his thinking, why would he go for the speakership job in the first place? You know, I don't think anyone was laboring under the delusion that Matt Gates would become like a, a sane kind of functioning member of Congress. Um, it does seem to me that the biggest thing that changed was, or if not changed, become, became solidified, was just the refusal to work with Democrats because that was going to be the only way out.
0: That 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 is kind of what I'm coming around to too, because there was two things for listeners. I know you know this, Kate. Uh, on Monday, Kevin McCarthy had a call with Hakeem Jeffries, the uh, de- the minority leader in the House, the Democratic minority leader. And we don't know what came out of that, but the sort of the vibe was not much came out of it, right? He didn't he didn't get any lifeline. And then Monday morning, there was a Democratic caucus meeting. And what came out of that caucus meeting totally locked down was every Democrat is going to vote against McCarthy, period. There's going to be no help whatsoever. And the other thing that sort of came just before that is everybody has aggr- had agreed Hakeem Jeffries is, gonna, is calling the plays for us. And what that, se- that what that ruled out, there had been some thought, and I kind of thought this was likely, frankly, or I don't know, likely, at least, at least totally within the realm of possibility, that you're going to have a few uh, problem solver uh, stragglers, like that guy from Minnesota who says he wants to run against Joe Biden, who they're going to say, oh, I'm going to do this for reaching across the aisle. And, and you only needed a few of those people right? You, I mean, a, you, you know, you kind of do the math, but you don't need many. You need like a handful and then he's okay. Um, so as soon as, as soon as it was clear that no one was going to go rogue, then the math just hardened. And, and, and this is what, this is what gets me if, if, if the explanation that Kate and I are sort of angling up to here is true, that means that McCarthy was thinking all along that the Democrats were going to cover him here in this situation. And that's pretty stunning to me. Now, the thing that made me think that is when he gave his sort of YOLO press conference yesterday after, again, ending his career in politics, basically, he said, Nancy Pelosi lied to me. She said she would cover me in this situation, and she didn't. And he criticized the Democrats for not doing it. Now, first of all, Nancy Pelosi is not the spe- is not the minority leader. So she wasn't in a position to promise anything, but everything we've ever, she despises the guy and has zero respect for him. So the idea that she would have made such a promise and she could have, she's obviously still a very influential figure. The idea that she would have promised that seemed impossible to believe frankly. But regardless, let's not even, it doesn't even matter what Pelosi said to him in whatever conversation. What is interesting to me is that if he thought he had that ace in the hole all along, then suddenly everything everything kind of comes together.
1: Which is so insane that even if Pelosi said something to him to make in him January. think that, that he thought the... You know, still a powerful woman, but who is no longer any formal leadership role in the House Democrats. That her word and no further concession on his part, or even the bare minimum of kind of public respect for House Democrats, would be enough for them to come to his aid. When, if the situation was reversed, laughable. Can you imagine if Pelosi went to McCarthy and said, "Hey, can you bail me out?" He would tape the conversation. He would play it for the networks. He would humiliate her in public and every House Republican would participate in that. I mean, it's just maybe he has like bought the kind of, you know, run of the mill Democratic platitudes, right? That they are, uh, you know, not bloodthirsty, pretty spineless, like always kind of want to drive in the direction of get along to go along, amiability, you know, a return of respectability. But like, what, if that's true, what a complete misreading, not just of Pelosi, but of the dynamics in that chamber where people genuinely really, really hate him. And not just because he's kind of a MAGA stooge, but the debt ceiling thing absolutely infuriated Democrats.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and let's, and again, I want to be clear to our listeners. I don't think Pelosi said anything like that, but let's, you know, let's, let's play it, play it through in our heads. Let's say, what if she did say this in January? Okay. A lot of water is under the bridge since January. You've got the debt ceiling, uh, showdown. You've got the breaking his word on the debt ceiling showdown, which created the government shutdown showdown, which, you know, along in the mix here is opening this impeachment inquiry against Joe Biden. The idea that that, that promise, which again, I don't think really happened, would hold is is absurd. And I want to, I, I just want to drive home for people again the opposition party doesn't vote for the leader of the majority party. It's like when you have a spe- when you have a speaker's race at the beginning. Even if even if the speaker of one party, you know, e- even if the opposition kind of likes the the speaker on a personal level, thinks he's a decent guy, they all vote against him. That's just what the opposition party is. And so, um, uh, the one the one thing. The only thing I can imagine that sort of makes this fit, and one thing I could imagine her saying is this, promising this, that they would not invoke the motion uh, to vacate. Because again, it's not just Matt Gates Matt who can do this, or Republicans can do it, any member of the House. So if they had wanted to, Democrats could have like once a week done this and forced leadership elections again and again and again. And he probably would have won those because no one in the gop wants to kind of be working with the democrats but still that would have been a huge headache and i could see them saying look we're not going to do that we're not going to dick you around that way um that's obviously nothing to do with with this situation which which is um which is very different but um i don't the the thing the only thing i can imagine he was thinking is something that i think a lot of establishment washington is thinking when we say he did the 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 debt ceiling hostage taking, he broke his word on that. He did this, he did that. A lot of establishment in Washington says, what choice did he have? He had Matt Gates and uh, Andy Biggs and, you know, Lauren Boebert, you know, ready to drop the boom, you know, lower the boom on him whenever he didn't do that. And, okay, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's... Uh, sort of, there's a certain logic to that, but he did these things. And, and so you see that what Democrats would have been doing would be agreeing to continue to have themselves abused. Uh, uh, why, why?
1: This is there, I think is an underlying piece of this that assumes Democrats would prefer a Kevin McCarthy speakership to the alternatives, which I have always thought doesn't make any sense because while McCarthy may not specifically hail from the House Freedom Caucus himself, his elevation to power has been solely on the backs of those people. And by doling out concessions to them that, you know, Boehner and, and Paul Ryan wouldn't do and which which helped, you know, end their careers, his, McCarthy's kind of survival tact has been give them everything they want, and assume that the vulnerable district frontliners will kind of come along, which is, you know, largely what happened. Good assumption, but yeah. I think it's weird that the underlying piece of all these conversations is like, well, better a McCarthy than a Jim Jordan. And it's like, in what way? I mean, in what way did McCarthy make life easier for House Democrats, either in you know, substance or in presentation. I mean, he he went after Democrats all the time to kind of befitting a loyal MAGA foot soldier that you would expect. You know, Nancy Pelosi is enemy number one. It's, it's all kind of routine. Um, and I just, when did we ever kind of see him demonstrate restraint in a way that House Democrats would miss if Jim Jordan gets the speakership? I mean, he greenlighted the impeachment stuff. He, the only times that he kind of, Bucked the party, which ultimately cost him his career, were to stop the United States from going into default and then to stop the shutdown and Maybe you could argue that someone like Jim Jordan, who's like a tick or more insane on the on the you know dial, would not have averted those things and that could be a good argument to be made, but i don't really see that as House Democrats' business per se like it's not their job to try to you know, FBI profile the speaker to see how extreme they're going to be. And in the daily goings on of the House, where I think the places between the big public events where you can kind of make friends, where you can establish some kind of relationship with the other side, he was never interested in doing any of that. So... I I just don't see that, you know, McCarthy is this like moderate kind of level headed option. I mean, he was a liaison for the House Freedom Caucus, his entire speakership. I just don't think it's that meaningfully different from if you have one of the actual House Freedom Caucus people in the chair.
0: I mean, I think the difference for Republicans is that. Uh, and and this, this is that system that I've been talking about in, in, in the editor's blog, that you have a kind of notionally mainstream dude who's the face of, face of Republicans in Congress, but he's actually doing the bidding of the Freedom Caucus. And you don't want an actual Freedom Caucus guy there, because optically, that's a lot worse. And... That's kind of what you're going to have with Jim Jordan. In some ways, what you're going to have with Steve Scalise. Yeah. He's also a much more, I mean, much more right wing, more confrontational. I mean, look, the argument for uh, the argument for Kevin McCarthy is that he pulled the plug and didn't shut the government down. He didn't do that as a favor for the Democrats. I think he did that because he thought the consequences for him and the Republican Party next year would be really bad so uh you know i do think i i think that um i think that the outlook for ukraine aid right now is pretty dicey um having said that though and this is this is the other this is the other part of this equation having said that if mccarthy let's 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 make a different scenario here let's say the vote was five votes against so he's ousted but it's just they just need one member to switch right and he goes and he makes deals and he makes more promises i mean i think the thing with like making more promises what more promises are you going to make at this point i mean what what more can he promise that he hasn't already promised um but do you really think they wouldn't lock him down on no ukraine aid as the price of holding on to his speakership or if he let's say it was 3 votes so Big win for McCarthy, and next week he announces a vote for Ukraine aid. You think they're not going to do the same thing all over again? So the idea that the idea that uh, Democrats imperiled Ukraine aid by doing what they I think that's I think that's highly highly questionable. The other thing that I think doesn't get mentioned here is I think there's a very good chance that okay, let's go back. Let's say it's eight votes, but now Hakeem Jeffries designates 20 house republicans who've got a pass you know who have a hall pass for voting present so now kevin mccarthy is the leader because of an agreement because of the de facto support of the democratic party how long does he last i think i i think there's a decent chance that they see that and um you know he's he survives that vote but everybody kind of sees he survived it with the support of the Democratic Party and then he's done. He's they they do the same thing next week and he's out. So even the things that supposedly are because of the Democrats decision I think that's I think if you play it out it's debatable.
1: Yeah, okay, there're two more parts of this that I'm eager to get to. So let's start with kind of the votes to depose McCarthy, which a lot of them predictable people you would expect people who kind of forced the speakership to go to 15 rounds in the first time you know i mean he almost he almost decked matt gates in january so it's not like we didn't have foreshadowing of this but nancy mace was shocking
0: so what okay so what do you i mean her story at least is that she had she went to him with a bunch of i don't know ideas demands uh you know her what she wanted to do on uh, post row. I I don't even know what you want to call it, and that he said yes, 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 and then forgot about it. Now, I guess the problem for me is him saying yes, 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 and then forgetting about it. Totally plausible. On the other hand, she is the biggest phony and biggest liar I have seen in ages. So I have no way to litigate this dispute.
1: Well, okay. First of all, Nancy Mace does this occasionally. She likes to fashion herself as like, you know, she's a young Republican woman and she likes to talk about bringing the party out of the dark ages on abortion, right? That they need to humanize and soften their edges or they are just kind of doomed with women and young people in perpetuity, which to some degree is true. But she never backs it up with anything. You know, she's like introduced a bill that has to do with kind of uh, care for new mothers type thing. But the reality is, if she had put any kind of, if she put any elbow grease into an effort like that, we would have heard about it because it would have been bipartisan. You would get House Democrats who are like, we're all for kind of supporting new mothers that doesn't run counter to us wanting abortion rights, but it's an area where we can kind of agree on. Um, Secondly, where exactly, you know, if it was this kind of, uh, you know, young mother, young baby support, like where did she want that to go? Was she just trying to demand that that was part of a CR or something? Because, point of all of this was that any CR was never going to pass. And any CR that specifically had any legislation that like Matt Gates and co could take objection to, they did, right? So and then they also objected to the clean CR. So this idea of like, well, Kevin promised me and he lied to me, it's kind of like, well, okay, babe, but like, he was pretty... You know, not to be all team Mike, Kevin, but he was a little hamstrung from (laughs) keeping the government open at all, much less kind of prioritizing your pet legislation here.
0: Well, that was the thing I didn't completely get, like like standalone bill, part of government shutdown, uh, you know. Um, I mean, gamesmanship. When,
1: when she made the comment about the, I just want to support women post um, she quickly transitioned into talking about the 12 appropriations bills. So maybe she wanted it to be part of that. But again, Kevin was not the one standing in the way of passing appropriations bills. Like that just wasn't going to happen.
0: And also like, I, I don't know, a hundred billion for being a woman. I mean, what? It, like, what are we actually... Talking about and and like this goes to your point about her kind of brand, which is I'm not an old Mm fuddy-duddy. I'm a kind of a modern woman. I go to prayer
1: breakfast and talk about having sex, right?
0: Even (laughs) but even that is sort of a thing. Like I'm conservative, but I'm doing the nasty too. Don't count (laughs) you know. Don't count me out, right? Like okay, we get it, Nancy. We get it. You're You're a young you're you're a you're a young woman. You know, you're not an 80 year old white dude in the Senate. Got it, but you know what are what are you actually talking about like what like 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 the house can't pass vibes it has to be some thing right some and and look maybe it is uh you know some sort of uh government support for young single mothers right daycare there's a lot of things that you, you got to get it down to some um concrete uh some concrete thing and the other thing at the end of the day and you know, you you're the you're the demographic, not me. But people, and certainly uh, most women in this country, are fundamentally pissed that there's no access to abortion. It come, you know, being supportive of women who don't have an abortion is great. You know, subsidies for child care, blah 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 blah. But. The whole Republican move here is that, man, we get subsidies. They're going to be so awesome. you're going to, you're gonna forget about that abortion stuff. And that's just not that's just not the calculus
1: totally. Also, they never pass the subsidies because right. they're okay. ideologically <laughs> opposed to helping poor people in any meaningful way. So, I mean, the other piece of this is that if she was super intent on passing some kind of like single young woman support, Democrats would be about it. It would be Republicans that would be like, well, we need a means tested and like, you know, reduce the aid to the amount that it's like completely just negligible. There would totally
0: be a McCain style opening for that. Like, yeah, you're really conservative, but you're going to have this kind of other other gig with Democrats that you that you're going to do. It seems I mean, my read on this is that, you know, when she when she she got a lot of attention um, at the be at the beginning when she came into office, you know, new kind of Republican, not doing the big lie stuff, all that, all that kind of thing. But it seems like now she's trying to kind of, you know, magify, mm-hmm. you know, kind of kind of do do the MAGA thing. So I my guess here is just everybody saw her vote and they're like, What the fuck? Like wh- what happened? And this is her reason. I said some woman stuff and he didn't
1: Right. do anything. I also, honestly, if this came down to a pivotal vote, I bet she wouldn't have voted against him. I think that she wanted the safety of being one of the agitators without being the McCain thumbs up, thumbs down. I think that's exactly right. You know, the ire of the party isn't going to be trained on her. It's going to be on Gates. She went on the Steve Bannon podcast with him last night to kind of, uh, you know, dance on the dead body and everything. But this is just I think she's fundamentally motivated by the same thing everyone in this group is, which never met a TV camera. They don't like, you know, these people are generally like pretty new to the House. They're relatively pretty powerless. It's not like they're chair people of important committees. This Mm -hmm. lets them set the agenda. They control the whole chamber. And for people who are fundamentally ambitious and interested in holding power, I think that's a pretty tantalizing pull. And you don't really need to lard it up with anything else except when explaining to reporters and like shrouding your desire to be the center of attention and concern for women.
0: Right. Right. So, what do we think about? Like, okay, as as of this morning, or at least when we started this episode, uh, Jim Jordan has announced. Mm-hmm. Steve Scalise seems pretty certain that he'll that he'll be in. I think almost almost a certainty that he'll that he'll enter enter the race. Um, where are we at? Where does this go? What? How does that race play out?
1: It's so funny because. In previous times, Scalise would be the establishment guy here, right? Even though he's of a more rightward persuasion than McCarthy is, he's been his deputy forever. I mean, we've mentioned them in leadership for a
0: while. Right.
1: And we mentioned the two in the same breath for a long time, even though they have some like interpersonal weirdness, but like they are, they've been a package deal for a long time. And then you have uh, Jordan, who for a, a long time, was the Gates, right? He was kind of the personification of the bomb throwy, um, you know, interested in making spectacles and getting clips and going on TV and not so much about governing. But as you say, in this kind of wave that also ushered MTG into establishment Republicanism, he has become a McCarthy ally and profited richly off of that. Now he gets to chair one of the most important committees and like kind of yell about fake investigation stuff and and what have you. So, and then you have Scalise, who it seems like the kind of best entry for him would be to get back to his more rightward roots because he can't just kind of market himself as like McCarthy 2.0. He's going to have to do, you know, McCarthy, but with a little more house freedom blood running in my veins or right, something like that. Right, right. So you've got Jordan inching more towards the establishment camp and Scalise inching more towards the the hard right flank, um, which in kind of makes the two profiles somewhat similar going into this. Um, You know, I I don't know that Jordan would struggle to get the votes. And honestly, I think either of them would struggle to get the votes. But there was a prior iteration of Jordan that I think would be like, you know, no chance. He's crazy. He's the fringe guy. And now he's kind of cloaked with more establishment, uh, you know, the trappings of of being a, quote, unquote, more serious politician.
0: Yeah, it is. It is weird. And for our listeners, there's you know people who are into politics into policy you you see all of this there's democrats and republicans there's freedom caucus and mainstream and all that kind of stuff but there's also the high school aspect of all of this of who's friends and that cuts across a lot i mean obviously well cuts across the parties to a certain extent but not not in ways that are relevant for this discussion um But you've got a McCarthy team, you know, when, when so-and-so becomes the whip, they're going to staff that with their, their people. Um, and so there's, there's through this and, and as Kate says, it was sort of muffled as long as McCarthy was the speaker, Scalise is the majority leader, you know, one and two in the leadership, but there's a team McCarthy and a team Scalise, in, in the house Republican party. And, uh, in this sense, Jordan is team McCarthy. And so this election is going to play out. Does, does, you know, team McCarthy hold on to some or all of the goodies or is it team Scalise? Does one of them get frozen out? So that is, that is, and that, that's why I, I, I really, um, I'm a little surprised that Scalise did not announce formally, say something publicly last night and say, let's end it. Everybody get behind me and and it's done. Yeah. Obviously. I
1: mean, the thing with with Scalise too is he was just diagnosed with a blood cancer. So I wonder if there's any hesitancy. I mean, I know that he and his camp are doing the he's fine thing, but they have to. I mean, it's a grueling job and the most, probably the most important part of it, if you don't have like the legislative finesse of a Pelosi, which I pretty safe to say, I don't think any yeah, of these no men one have, yeah. is you're supposed to be a big fundraiser. Yeah. And that's what McCarthy was really good Constant at. Constant travel. And that's what the speaker would be expected to do. Fly from bougie event with donors to bougie event with donors to get back to DC for the vote. Like it's over a hundred days on the road a year. Um, probably more that you have to be, you know, without your family and blah, blah, blah. And like the kind of... And it's not like the the Congress doesn't have a lot of personalities that support this lifestyle because a lot of them do it to certain extents for their own re-election campaigns. But, you know, Scalise is in a difficult health moment. And I think that would probably weigh on the decision. I think also who the hell would want this job at this point? Especially because I would be shocked if the Gates at all did not make as a stipulation of their support that you keep the motion to vacate where one member can trigger it. Because why would they give up that power? That's his biggest attention-grabbing thing. And if that's still in place, I mean, Jordan, Scalise, what have you, They're it's gonna be similar. They're gonna have a tenure of a few months until they, you know, piss off this faction by passing the must-pass legislation that Congress has to do every year.
0: Yeah. On the one hand, I can't imagine either of them agreeing to the job with this single vote motion to vacate in place. On the other hand, I cannot imagine that dozen or eighteen or so group giving it up. Mm-hmm. And obviously you cannot get elected without their agreement. It so I I don't I don't know where that goes. And with Scalise's health, I mean, it's funny. The idea in the norm, in the world of normal people, the idea you're gonna take something like that on um a couple months after a very serious cancer diagnosis. I mean, he is to just for our listeners, he uh, spoke to the press. I don't know a week ago or something like that. And what he said, at least, is that doctors say he's responding very well to the chemotherapy. He certainly looks uh, looks good, and and at a certain level, like Josh, what are you talking about? I mean, you know, that's that's not a medical. But but I think we know that even in successful chemotherapies, people often wilt under the strain of that visibly. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I don't, whatever he was thinking, it's certainly the case that you would imagine a lot of members of the caucus are saying like, dude, are you, are you okay? Like, can you really take this on? Because, you know, that's the thing. It's, it's the stuff they do on Capitol Hill is one thing. But as you said, this is flying around the country nonstop fundraising. And the thing, the one thing you can say about McCarthy is, you know, some every politician has to do this, but some love it mm-hmm. and thrive on it. And McCarthy is one of those love it, thrive on it, glad-handing type of people. Um, and and that's never been Scalise. He does it enough that no one can play at that level and not do a lot of it. But it's but it's not his forte. So I it's it's I will say this, and I was I was saying this to a Republican friend of mine who who I talk to regularly. I have to imagine if Jim Jordan is the Speaker, there are fifty Democratic campaigns that are loving that, mm-hmm. loving that Speaker Jordan, Speaker Jordan, Mister Impeachment, and your Republican representative in in you know kind of uh, in the outer New York suburbs. Supports Speaker Jordan impeaching Biden, doing this, doing that. I cannot imagine we're not going to give another deep look at, I think, the undeniable fact that Jordan was at the center of a pretty serious cover up of one of these college. uh, I mean, again, it's not, I I don't think any of these were, any of these uh, victims were under the age of 18 since it was college. Um, But, you know, wrestling uh molestation coach molests the the wrestlers situation when he was before he got into politics he was assistant wrestling coach um and that was just sort of he denied it not not very convincingly and when when his republican colleagues decided to gave give him a pass that was kind of it but this isn't being chairman of the judiciary committee anymore or ranking member which I think he was, got him losing track here when that first came up.
1: I think that's critical, right? Because it's like Paul Gosar has been having dinner with white supremacists since he came on the scene. But when you're in the House, you're one of a gazillion people and most people aren't powerful. And so that doesn't have the same... Just
0: some rando from Arizona. Yeah. It doesn't
1: engender the same opposition. But you're totally right. If, If Jordan was Speaker that's going to come up again. You're probably going to have those wrestlers kind of speak out again. And for a while.
0: It was touch he, and go for is, him.
1: He escaped, but yep. it was not a sure thing. Not at all. There was not stories every single day that was another athlete comes out and another one, you know, and that was all consuming for a time. Um, and I also think. He's just I mean, he's a walking oppositional research folder, you know, he's been saying whatever bullshit he wants to say for years. And, you know, you know, it's going to be racist. It's going to be sexist. It's going to be xenophobic. It's just going to make for such easy ads.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And he, he I mean, that was always the and again, that is the secret to this system that they have. They've got a Kevin McCarthy type person. They've got a Paul Ryan. They've got a John Boehner. And those people like even if even if um, Kevin McCarthy has been in the business of delivering for the Freedom Caucus. That's how he got the job, that you look at Kevin McCarthy and you say, he didn't believe any of this shit. He's just doing what he's got to do. He's an, he's a kind of a backslapping slapping kind of uh, chamber of commerce Republican. And I think that's true. That doesn't let him off the hook. I mean, he has enabled all of this stuff, but you sort of know it's cynical. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the other hand, with Scalise, you know, Scalise has... Uh, Scully, I mean, look, Scalise has had a hard time the last few years. He was almost killed in that shooting incident where they're practicing for like the congressional softball or I what is it? I guess base, baseball, whatever it is, yeah. um, by kind of a feral Democrat. Right. I mean, that was sort of it's the one example
1: that, say, that
0: they that they always go back it's to. And look,
1: singular data it's, point.
0: it's a pretty good. I mean, it's a pretty horrific data point. Right. A kind of a Democrat, random uh, Democratic partisan who shoots up uh, the Republicans. He was he was severely wounded. Um, now he's got this cancer diagnosis. Um, you do have that that when he was starting out, you know, he's got this quote, I'm, I'm David Duke without the baggage. Right. So the, so Steve Scalise has some baggage himself. Um, he, he is, um, you know, he comes out of unreconstructed Louisiana Republican politics. Now in an era of Trump, you know, people say David Duke, like, Oh, David Duke, you know, quaint. <laughs> so we have Nick Fuentes now. Like what do you know, uh, D- David Duke, Mighty, he's, you know, like establishment at this point. Um, but both of these guys have some have some baggage and I I do think that not an expert on this caucus, but with the two of them, and that's it. There's no one else who's got the who's got the juice to to I think really they might get in. I doubt it. In,
1: I think in terms of momentum, you've got to give Scalise the edge just because he's already got the leadership apparatus right like he can whip votes mm-hmm, i mean mm-hmm, mm-hmm. jordan even though he's relatively powerful in the caucus he just doesn't have that setup so absolutely,
0: absolutely in terms of
1: kind of who can you know they're planning to have this week, this vote next week that does not give you a lot of time to like introduce yourself to the caucus and be like, what about little overlooked me? You know, so there's just not a lot of time. And if they do end up holding the vote next week, you got to give the House money to Scalise because he's a name that everyone has been okay enough with to have him in the upper echelon of leadership for a long time. I think it's frankly, I laughed out loud when I saw the Gates quote of like, well, you know, I think Scalise is superb. It's like <laughs> right, McCarthy was like unacceptable to you, but his deputy is a whole different, a whole different yeah, ball game. Yeah, you know?
0: yeah. But I, I do, I do think. I mean, I don't. I think there's a lot of ideological and ugliness baggage that Scalise should be held to account for if he becomes speaker. But I think uh, it, it's not it, nothing compared. To Jordan and he's been in the leadership. People won't see it as dramatically different. And look, the fact that he uh was horrifically injured in this shooting, the fact that he's now fighting cancer, that's gonna that is just going to um, you know, give him some benefit of the doubt, right? He that humanizes him, that's just the reality.
1: Yeah. Okay, so should we do a little SCOTUS corner here? Yeah. What yeah.
0: happened? What happened there? What what did we what did we glean from from that hearing?
1: So uh, our term has begun. Um, The, you know, the drop in temperature, the animals howling signified that the Supreme Court is back in session. And this was the first big case that, you know, we at TPM are tracking um, this session. It's basically just a threat to the well-being of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the CFPB, which is widely known as Elizabeth Warren's. You know, it was her idea. She, you know, forced it kind of into existence, and it's become a really central player in the financial regulatory system post the financial crisis of 2007 and 2008. Um, So this was born out of just a challenge from a trade group of payday lenders who opposed this one rule that the CFPB you put into place, which I always think is funny because, like, can you think of a less sympathetic group than the the payday lenders? It's like the worst
0: of the worst. Yeah, yeah. no, it's it's like the it's like the 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 American Association of Bloodsuckers.
1: Exactly. Yeah. 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 And so, basically, the that rule is just so that payday lenders can't. Keep trying to take money out of your account when you don't have it and like heap up overdraft fees, kind of thing. But what happened is it went to our old friends at the Fifth Circuit who said, you know what? The entire funding scheme for the CFPB is unconstitutional. Um, and the CFPB gets its money from basically, like its director asks the Federal Reserve, like, this is how much money we need. And that amount is capped at 12% of the Federal Reserve's operating budget of 2009. So it's a weird system, but kind of a lot of the financial regulatory stuff gets its money in a weird way because they're supposed to be independent. And they're supposed to be a little bit, um, you know, separate from the the whims of Congress, the way that most things are um, have annual appropriations. Right. So the Fifth Circuit, just went off the rails, right? And basically said, like, you need to shut this whole agency down, which is a problem because there are a lot of agencies that are funded weirdly like this. And so now you had at oral argument at the Supreme Court on Tuesday, actually the guy arguing for the payday lenders is Noel Francisco, who was Solicitor General during the Trump administration. Um, And he was given the difficult task of trying to explain both why we've had agencies funded in weird ways since the founding like that's not a new thing plus you've got a whole host of other agencies you know the fed the fdic that are all kind of funded in this in this roundabout way or given you know kind of a budget cap type thing and you have to kind of work Underneath that. And so a lot of people went into this being like, well, CFPB is dead, right? It's everything the Supreme Court hates. It's regulation. It's specifically big business finance regulation. And it's Elizabeth Warren's agency. You know, you could call it the Warren agency and it would right. have the same effect. Everyone knows that it's hers. And she's obviously a big enemy of those on the right. But it was a brutal experience for Francisco and the payday lenders. Like the liberals came out the gates aggressive, you know, just being like your argument makes no sense. Um, You know, like at one point, Elena Kagan was pressing him on like, under your theory, the Federal Reserve is also unconstitutional. Like, how do you explain that? And he gave some kind of meandery answer. And she's like, Uh, yoga. Hey, so it's too important. And whatever, I guess, you know, I'll just move on. But it was just a slugfest. And the only one coming to their aid was Alito. I mean, even the, you know, Gorsuch kind of fainted in that direction at the beginning, and then he gave up. Roberts, who kind of famously doesn't like the CFPB, fainted in that direction, and he gave up. And it was just a bloodbath. So I kind of emerged from it. I'd be very surprised if the CFPB doesn't kind of escape this one unscathed.
0: So w- were there were there conservative justices, maybe a misunderstanding, but were there conservative justices who, like, it seemed like they were against it? Maybe, were they trying to kind of throw him a bone and like, maybe you can maybe try this, try that, and it just didn't work and they gave up kind of thing? Or were yeah. they? did it seem like they came in just wanting to be opposed to him from the start?
1: Oh, no, no, no. They were trying to bail him out or alternatively trying to kind of press the solicitor general staking out positions on right. things but no one but alito could really sustain it throughout because it's it's funny it's this thing we keep seeing especially in this new era where we have the trump district judges who are mostly in texas so it goes up to the fifth circuit so it goes up to the supreme court There are more and more examples of this where the legal argument is just so shoddy and just so clearly kind of them being like, well, now's the time. Got to strike while the conservatives are hot, right? That they just like kind of send up whatever. And then a few times, of course, the Supreme Court doesn't have to take these up and they keep taking them. But we have seen a few times the arguments get to the Supreme Court and even the kind of, you know, these dyed in the wool partisans are just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, that's too stupid. I can't. (laughs) I can't accept that. I can't pretend that that's like it has the structural integrity of anything but a doily, you know?
0: Well, it's, it, you know, that is one of the supposed features of letting things percolate through the courts over time that you come up with some solid arguments. And there's a lot of things that you could, given enough time, come up with at least better arguments, if not good arguments. Now, I, I, I take it that I guess there's two ways to come at this. There's one way to say, there's no problem Congress doing this. This is fine. This funding issue isn't fine. It sounds like in most cases, on both sides of the aisle, so to speak, on the Supreme Court, that they weren't even making that. They weren't even addressing that head on. They're just saying, all of these other agencies do it. So where do you
1: Right. I mean, where do you slice that? Francisco and the payday lenders did try to do, you know, the non-delegation stuff they've been doing recently, which is Congress doesn't have the power to do this. They have to do kind of line item annual appropriations. Right. And I think if the CFPB was the only agency that organized this way, they'd be like, Perfect. Love that argument. Get rid of it. But, you know, the Solicitor General kind of described it as trying to gerrymander a rule that only applies to this agency. And that's what they're trying to do. But there's just what is the Supreme Court also going to say the Federal Reserve is unconstitutional? Like, no. (laughs) So it's just the old arguments that have occasionally been enough for the Supreme Court to just knock down agency action they don't like, it's just really hard to split the baby on this one.
0: Opening up too big a can of worms, basically.
1: Right. Exactly. It's just too hard to say this agency is wrong. These other virtually identical agencies are fine. And that seemed to be what they really struggled with during oral arguments.
0: Interesting. Interesting. So what other, what other, what's coming in this term? A preview of what's coming soon?
1: A bunch of... Agency stuff, and a big one, which will invite the court to overturn the Chevron doctrine altogether. The Chevron is kind of the bedrock of agency authority cases. It just says that whenever um, you know authority delegated by Congress to an agency is unclear, you basically have to give the agency the benefit of the doubt if their interpretation is reasonable. That's something that the court has been moving away from for decades now, and now they got a case where they can squarely overturn it. Um, but I think probably the number one biggest case that's going to get a ton of attention is we have the first big gun case coming up since the New York decision. Um, And this one, uh, we've discussed it on the show before, but, you know, the the poster child is just this really out of control guy who just, you know, is (laughs) shooting things all the time and like keeps going to jail and is told you can't have a gun and then they find guns on him. And which is why, you know, some kind of, gun nuts are displeased that this is the first case that's coming up because this is the time like on the abortion landscape where where you have a huge loosening of restrictions. Everyone's going to be like loosen it more and more and more in all these kind of ways. But here you've just got a guy who's less sympathetic than the payday lenders up there saying I should be able to have a gun, even though I'm clearly completely out of control.
0: (laughs) You were saying that even a lot of the wiser people in the, you know, pro-gun movement for lack of a better word we're like no let's not let's not sort of uh you know hoist our sail right. to this guy's you know mass that this guy's like an out of control freak
1: right but, but this guy was in jail when he filed the appeal so i'm sure that was not very moving to him you know right.
0: but is it why was it i mean but the supreme court took it up yep. they didn't have to they could have waited for something more more to their liking, and I'm sh- I, can't, I can't imagine I can't imagine there's not some. There must be some case where there's an acrimonious divorce, accuse you know, the, the the wife makes accusations. Um, the guy has a gun collection; his guns are taken away. But then, like that, the this you know the the claims against him kind of fall apart. Like there must be some. I, you know, I mean, again, as someone who doesn't think that your right to have like your own arsenal has a lot of standing, I, I don't really care. But there must be there must be better cases than this from a yeah. pro-gun point of view.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, the other we have a few cases that are on their way out of the appellate courts right now that will probably get to the Supreme Court this term. Um Mifepristone will be the big one on the abortion landscape. Um, And then you also have this like super bizarre case uh, where the Fifth Circuit has gagged all these government officials from flagging misinformation to social media companies to take down um, and that the government just appealed that to the Supreme Court. So good chance that'll also get on the roster. Um, But from this kind of beginning position where a lot of these live cases are not, you know, haven't been calendared yet or haven't been taken up yet, even though they probably will. Um, A lot of the kind of bread and butter of the right-wing legal world, anti-regulation stuff, attempts to kind of make a wealth tax unconstitutional before it's ever passed by Congress, you know, that kind of stuff is, is the foundation. And then I think it'll be peppered with these super high scrutiny, big cases and some of the, you know, guns, abortion and and the arena where, you know, we've gotten kind of the biggest movement from the court in recent years.
0: Got it. Got it. Okay. So much to look
1: forward to. Yeah. So much to look
0: forward to. And I mean, uh, you know, next week, well, I guess, I guess it's possible that, uh, you know, when we have, when we have really big news, we'll do like an Instapod sometimes. Mm -hmm. And in this case, the really big news just coincided with, the podcast. So there was no need to do that. Um, But, you know, the next, even today could be a pretty big day, right? I mean, it is possible that, I don't know, one or the other of these candidacies for speaker kind of collapses. And, you know, these things are very dynamic. And I, I do think one of the big things is that no one was expecting McCarthy to fold that fast. And that left his crew to find a new horse, basically. So, so everything is very fluid. Uh, so we may, it's possible we'll be back before next week. Um, but uh, if if not, uh, we'll have another podcast for you for next week. And I think that's all we got for this well, episode.
1: One more bonus thing is that um, we're planning on dropping the first podcast of our, our fir- the first episode of our new podcast, um, Belabor the Point. That is going to come in your feeds any day now so keep an eye on that we're working on new episodes kind of behind the scenes uh so yeah good stuff keep your eye out
0: cool all right well that's it for this week
1: all right see you next week later the josh marshall podcast is hosted by me tpm reporter kate riga and tpm founder editor-in-chief josh marshall the show is produced by jackie wilhelm Thanks to Why Not Jansfeld for our podcast theme song. And thanks to all our TPM members who make this possible. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen.
0: One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that.